new and old, welcome to Pod Like a Hole. You are in the exciting second season, codenamed A Space Podity, where the Diamond Dice roll and randomize David Bowie albums for us to listen to, discuss, analyze, uh, generally feed our love of music. Um, and we sometimes do a B-side, a little bonus episode. And that's what we're doing today. You see, the Diamond Dice rolled, and us lucky bastards, we get to talk about Low, the beginning of Bowie's Berlin era. But technically not the beginning, and that's what tonight's about. Uh, a little album that he helped write and produce for his good friend Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop's first solo album, and it did, in some circles, start the Berlin era. So... That's what we're going to discuss tonight. That's why we're discussing it tonight. I am just a humble co-host, Eric Anderson, but I'm here with uh, the man, the myth, Stephen Earl Chambles. Hello there. Glad to be here. Glad to be here again and again and again and again. And the ringmaster, who makes sure to crack the whip and... Throw a chair in our direction when we step out of line. Our our fearless leader, Mark Branstad. It is true, but uh, instead of more of a three ring circus carnival barker, I I consider myself more along the lines of that excellent film brought to you by Jerry Springer, The Ringmaster, available somewhere on VHS near you. <laughs> oh wow. I haven't thought about that. I just remember the poster. He's holding his face. Just exasperated with it all. Doesn't that uh, that have Hugh Jackman in it? Uh, I think you're thinking of The Greatest Showman. (laughs) Hey, uh, before we get too off track, we wouldn't be here slapping our gums together if it wasn't for um, some wonderful listeners out there. We've, we've been uh, been a little neglectful of a little segment called The Fan That Feeds, but I think we got some feedback recently. Steve? Yes, uh, some some feedback, a little bit of uh, news that I didn't know about, and then a question that we are going to pose to everyone and see if we can get some answers on the social media. And we'll come back with our answers at the next recording. It's from a Christopher Mathis on the Instagram. And he says, uh, you know, Hey guys, been enjoying the show, all that kind of stuff. We appreciate it. And uh, he asked us, have we checked out the Bowie tribute band, the Sons of the Silent Age? Have we talked about them and I forgot about them? No. No. Okay, the only reason I bring that up is because it's a Bowie tribute band and they're led by Chris Conley of uh, Ministry and many other acts. Oh, shit. In, yeah, in, Revolt yeah. And Cox and uh, oh yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. So apparently they're cool. a they're a David Bowie tribute uh, tribute band, and they are from the uh, a bunch of musicians from the Chicago era area, and they play uh, a lot of the different eras. So I will definitely be trying to see what I can dig up on them, and uh, that would be if they ever did a tour, I would definitely catch it. Oh, you know what? That must be what it was. I saw a picture. Like just today on like the Wax Tracks feed that I follow, with Chris Connolly and actor Michael Shannon singing Bowie songs together. That must have been at one of those shows. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Michael Shannon is much more than an actor, but yes. 
Yeah. No, no, no. It's true. It's true. I don't mean to, I don't mean to pigeonhole him. And then Chris uh, asks, and then Christopher asks a question, which I think is a cool question. And he asks that if David Bowie did get to tour for Black Star, what kind of set list do you think he would have had? So there is the question to us and to the listeners. If David Bowie toured for Black Star in 2016, what kind yeah. of set list would he have had? I think that's a that's, so a, that's a fun exercise. No doubt, he's opening up with "Beat of Your Drum," uh, followed by that Mickey Rourke song. Um, you didn't even have to think about it. <laughs> I mean, just right off the top, you know, right off the top. I know it's. He's capping his career. He actually gets to plan out his farewell tour, and that's what he—that's what he goes with. I, I like it. Yeah, uh, I like it. I, yeah. So yeah, of- I guess that's—that's that's the question to the listeners. Uh, post on our socials. Uh, what do you think would it be? Would be a good uh, some good songs for him to play in his like bookend tour. His, his if he actually got to plan a farewell tour. Mark says, "Be uh, Hey, oh, I say, yeah, why not? Closes it with Thursday's Child." I don't even I don't even know if it'd be a farewell tour. Just just if he toured for Black Star, what would that set list be like? There you go. Yeah, I, it will make me kind of spin off thinking about what that band would do a good job playing because they they were fantastic, but they would do their own kind of spin on maybe some of his old songs. So speaking right. of Black Star, uh, last night Eric and I went to the Stargazing David Bowie tribute show. And while it's fresh in our minds, I would like to talk about it for a second. We had yes. a great time. It was a it was a good time at Harlow's here in Sacramento. It was a a pretty packed house by the end of the night. And uh, yeah, there's a there's a few acts before Bougie's Tipsy Orchestrina main act that did Ziggy Stardust. And one of them, Eric, what was the name of that uh, young lady that did the solo interpretations? Moonwalker. Yeah. And uh, she I arrived. Was awesome. when, she was awesome. Yeah. I arrived when Moonwalker was playing, and it was a one woman and her laptop, and that was about it. But it was. Oh, well, well, hold on. She had a she had a table strewn with orbs, glowing orbs and lights, and these like um, mannequin heads with these glittery wigs on them that she never wore. They're just there. And uh, yeah, she just drum machine, computer, and like a looper, and she would just do a bass and a synth line. And then uh, do like a vocal flourishes that she would then loop, and then she would actually sing the lyrics over it. Um, yeah. And she she actually did the most interesting choices out of all the bands for songs. She did only three. Uh, she did "I'm Afraid of Americans." Uh, she did uh, was it she? She loves me. Is that the name of the song off uh, the one off of Black Star, Star with the yeah with the yeah, uh, yeah. with the with the clock of orange speak. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, she did uh, one of the tracks off Aladdin Sane that I'm not familiar with, and I had to, I had to look up. But um, so, yeah, yeah, that was she was she was great. And Eric, what you what you think yeah. of the, the whole the whole show there, the whole night? Yeah, it was cool. The first band that played uh, was definitely like it was a group of older gentlemen. Gentlemen, they definitely had like kind of that bar band kind of feel to them, and they picked some very safe, very basic Bowie songs. But it was fun to hear them live. You know, they did like Man Who Sold the World. And, uh, they did like, um, uh, oh man, fuck. <laughs> they did Man Who Sold the World. They, they, they did uh, a lot of the pretty, pretty standard ones that you think of, um, with Bowie. 
Uh, and then, then she played, which kind of like, you know, was pretty awesome little, little shot of energy. And then the next band was, uh, oh wait, sh- fuck, I'll edit this. First band was the Hey Nows. The Hey Nows was the first band. And then, uh, then Moonwalker played and then, uh, then Rao, the Rao brothers, the Roa brothers, uh, they are like a blues, uh, like a local kind of blues rock band. They had a weird selection of songs. I didn't even know a couple of the songs, but they did play. They did uh, close it up with um, "Station to Station," which was kind of fun to hear live. It was a it was a definitely truncated version of "Station to Station," but that was very yeah. Cool. Eric's over here. Eric's over here acting like "Width of a Circle" is a fucking deep cut. You uh oh, did on. they play that? Okay. Yes. All right, there you go. Um, what album is that on? Man who sold the world. Shit, I'm not sure. See, I, we haven't reviewed it yet. It's the, one of my less familiar songs. Uh, and then, yeah, Bo- then Bougie came out with his band, uh, Tipsy Orchestrina, and they rocked out uh, Ziggy Stardust from start to finish. That man is a showman. He had four different costume changes, and he got into it, and he can sing, man. That guy was singing to the rafters. It was great. It was a lot of fun. And then uh, probably the most special, the special encore. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, the encore was all the bands came out and did a rousing rendition of under pressure and it was a good old time and uh I, any version of that song that isn't a complete butchering i will make time for and this version actually was a great version of it so uh yeah good good time had by it all i don't need to go back to sacramento for another six months hopefully so. <laughs> Well, it was cool, and I didn't even think to ask Bougie when I was interviewing him that he planned it on the anniversary of Bowie's death, which was, it was which added just another layer of tribute to the night, where it was like, uh, you know, there was definitely some moments where people were trying to conjure his spirit, especially especially Moonwalker. But and uh, now it's also yeah, it was, the anniversary of Neil Peart's death. I know it's wild. Bowie had already been planning to escape. Uh, we're going to go into their adventures in, in Europe more on the Bowie episode. But just know Bowie was already going to go there. He was escaping Hollywood. It was killing him literally. His, his cocaine addiction was was at its worst. And Iggy Pop, his band was gone. Half of them were dead. The Stooges were, were over. He was lost. And he also had an addiction of his own. And... Um, they just, you know, were already they were already friends, and they said, "Well, let's just go. Let's go explore Berlin together. Let's let's use it as an opportunity for, you know, maybe some artistic re- uh, reinvigoration." Uh, so they got there, and they spent. Let me pull it up here. They spent most of their time uh, in a. Most of the recording was actually done in a hotel. All right, so most of the, they, they were staying in the hotel called the Chateau de Aeroville. Um, and uh, what they would, they were staying there, they would, you know, obviously they were kicking their habits, but they were still partying quite a bit. Um, they would work on music during the week and then they would take like a five day break and go on benders. 
Um, but they would, they, they, they liked, you know, being in Berlin. They liked the culture. Um, and Bowie loved a lot of the music he was getting into there. And a lot of it was more of the electronic stuff. Um, your craft works and new. And uh, they wanted to start, you know, making some music. And they, this was the first thing they started working on. Um, Bowie would help co-write and would record his own little uh, demo versions of the music. But they never were in the same room together, not often when they were recording. Uh, Bowie would do his thing. There's actually a funny interview with Iggy Pop, a recent one on BBC, talking about this experience, where even though they were friends, there was nothing, they just, they just, it was just too much trouble when they were in the studio together. So like uh, Iggy Pop would call the room where their studio was and he'd say, oh, is Bowie still there? Okay, call me when he leaves. And then Bowie would leave after he did his little like music demo and Iggy would come in, spend 12 hours and get his lyrics right. And then Bowie would come back in and add a bunch of more flourishes to it. And then when they were done with the whole thing, they gave it to Tony Visconti who said, oh my God, this is a salvage job. It was just like overdubbed over overdubbed so many effects on everything and he actually like made it listenable in the end toned it down quite a bit um and then they brought in a lot of uh bowie's studio mus musicians from uh the low album to uh to kind of re-record uh some of the the rough the rough cuts that bowie did on the on the instruments yeah and who, who was on who was on this record Right, right. So you got a, uh, you got like the big three um, from from Low. You've got Bowie doing everything, but only a little bit of his work made the final cut uh, on instruments. Um, Car Carlos Alomar. Um, you got Dennis Davies, and then uh, George Murray did a little bass. Um, Phil Palmer did some sh like lead guitar, a lot of the lead guitar works for this guy, Phil Palmer, who I looked him up and he's like a studio guy that worked with uh, just some British uh, rockers, uh, your Eric Clapton's and such. Um, a guy named Laurent Thibault did some bass work also. And Steve, he's the guy from uh, Magma, which was a French prog rock band that started in the late 60s, but you have a little experience with them, don't you, Steve? I do. Mark, have you ever heard of Magma? Uh, that I can think of. Yeah, Mag Magma's very loosey-goosey, jazzy, go go look at a lava lamp stuff. He actually, the singer of, of Magma, I was doing my research, I just found it out tonight. He made up his own language, and it's very similar to the, the languages that Sigur Ross combines to make their language anyways just kind of an interesting early version of yeah, that magma is much better than them that's all i know uh so yeah you got you know yeah basically this album is ziggy pop on vocals with the uh the station to station low configuration you know yeah uh, david on everything including uh toy piano saxophone and xylophone right right and uh yeah carlos alomar on guitar davies on drums and Murray's bass guitar. That's a that's a pretty good band right there. So he's he's already. I'd say that Iggy Pop was a to use to mix metaphors. He was born on third base with this with this album. It, it was already in a good spot. 
in, in, in a more recent interview with with Bowie, actually not not more recent. I'm sorry, this one was from right after this was released, uh, or actually right before, because Bowie did another album with Iggy Pop that we'll talk about later. Um, Lust for Life, correct? Was that the name of the album? The follow-up. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when asked about like Bowie was. Uh, the music press back in the seventies uh, would be, they were kind of harsh and they would say like, well, when you got with Lou Reed, you basically just turned Lou Reed into another version of you. And they said, you you did that with, you know, you're, you're doing that with, uh, with Iggy pop. And Bowie admits that there's probably Bowie says there may even be too much of him in the idiot, but he was promising to dial it down for the next album. Uh, but that's, but too much of Bowie on this album is fine by me, because as we'll talk about, it's it's a very interesting listen. definitely uh it's proto low if you will but it doesn't sound like any other david but it sounds there's shades of other david bowie albums but it doesn't sound it sounds more like iggy pop than david bowie right uh, you know with iggy pop up until this point well he was with the stooges in the late 60s early 70s and then the stooges broke up and this was his first solo album and nobody expect. I don't know what they expected, but they probably didn't expect this because it sounds nothing like the Stooges. Right, right, yeah. What is, what is a? Let's start with Eric, Mark, and me. Eric, what are your general opinions and your history with Iggy Pop, if anything? Right. I mean, my knee-jerk re- reaction is that I like him. That being said, I don't have very much of his work at all. I think I have raw. I have raw power. Um, I guess the only album I've ever purchased by him that I do enjoy quite a bit. Um, I like him as a presence. I like him as a force of nature. Um, but, uh, and I, like, I like him in other media. Like, I think the first time I was introduced to him was he was the neighbor's dad on Adventures of Pete and Pete. And he would be in a bunch of episodes of that. And I was like, oh, Iggy Pop, sure. And uh, he's a music guy, right? He looks cool. Um, so I already, I already was set up to like him because of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, kind of depends sometimes his delivery, he has a very slap shot attitude sometimes to music where, I mean, he is, he helped birth American punk. So it, he is rough around the edges and there is a lot of stuff that is just like shooting, shooting from the hip. And, um, sometimes it leaves a, a product, a project feeling unfinished. Um, so I'm not always satisfied listening to his work. But sometimes I, I'm listening to something very powerful, so that's what I gotta say. Raw, exactly. Well, there you go. Raw power, powerful but rough around the edges. That's right. Uh, Mark, I have, I, I have, a, I have a feeling of some of your older memories because I think I was there with you. But what's your your general Iggy Pop musings? My. Uh, overall impression of Iggy Pop is uh, neutral but positive. You know, I, I don't have any negative feelings towards the man. He's an absolute influential uh, artist. Um, most of my favorite 
acts and bands and artists generally cite Iggy Pop as a influence. Um, I'm also fascinated by the collaboration that David Bowie just hooked his tendrils onto Iggy Pop and was just, you know, they were kind of a yin and yang situation. Uh, my first impression of Iggy Pop wasn't musically. Kind of like Eric, he showed up in a in a movie. It was 1990. Um, it wasn't like the main character, but he certainly was in this movie. It was a Johnny Depp, John Waters film called Crybaby. Uh, oh, yes. It's not a great film, if memory serves. Um, but, oh, no. Yeah. And... Uh, that was my first impression. Then you flash forward to um, 1996, and that's when he was in The Crow 2. And um, I'm sure that I heard Wild One on some sort of commercial for dishwashing detergent or something like that, or, or you know, Tonka trucks or something like that. Um, and of course, um, the the opening um, scene of Train Spotting is where I really started to uh, get exposed to his music. And that was, you know, Lust for Life, um, which is an absolute amazing song. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, after our Tin Machine episode, apparently the sales boys are performing on that one. They're performing all over that second record, apparently. And, uh, you know, it's a harbinger of things to come that have obviously crashed and burned. But, um, yeah, Iggy Pop, he's, he's not bad. He's not bad. Um, I've listened to some of his later works. I'm totally just like dribs and drabs. I listened to the record post-pop uh, depression that he did with uh, essentially three quarters of Queens of the Stone Age. And that was a pretty good record. Um, but, yeah, he's he's just been always kind of there for me. I've never... There's something about it that... Uh, some of his work really kind of fades into the background, something you could listen to while you're cleaning the house, but nothing that I really necessarily just get my hair blown back. But yeah. How about you, Steven? I want to hear your thoughts. Oh, well, thank you. I, I knew you were going to bring up Lust for Life because you and I watched Train Spotting way too many times in high school. Um, I don't know what that says about us, but <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. Yeah, I never watched Especially the. Uh, yeah, I never watched the sequel though. But yeah, neither have I, and I really was looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, I think I should do that. We think we should do that. That would be good. But yeah, I also you didn't. Uh, I, I believe we've coded on the show before, but what's his uh, his his line from The Crow Two? Uh, right before he dies, um, I'm not afraid. You think I'm afraid of you? <laughs> it's yeah, on a it's motorcycle. Yeah, it's all in the delivery. I don't want to wake up the kids by shouting it. Um, but uh, yeah, seek it out. Death yeah, of Iggy. It's on YouTube. <laughs> I've uh, like you guys. I, I've always appreciated the idea of Iggy Pop. I like the fact that there was a guy out there that was known for never wearing a shirt. And rolling around in glass, um, and the Stooges definitely were one of the the first like dangerous rock and roll bands that got renowned for it. Um, and a lot of and, and, and I've always 
I feel like Iggy Pop's like one of those guys a lot of my like record collector friends really like, and I always felt like I should like him more. Uh, I don't know why I never made a lot of time for him. Uh, and even even his style of singing, that uh, that raspy like baritone style, like that's some of my favorite stuff. You know, uh, it doesn't surprise me that the Queens of the Stone Age did an album with them because Mark Lanigan and him actually have a lot of the same qualities. Uh, Mark Lanigan's a much more subdued version of it, I think. But uh, yeah, and, and, you know, his style of music when he's with the Stooges and some of his solo records, they're very much in the birthday party, early Nick Cave, gun club style. So I think I should give all that stuff another look after my uh, enjoyment of the year. I would say uh, but, uh, Search and uh, Destroy is just a rock song. There's no there's no artsy pretense to it whatsoever. And that's that's way back from Raw Power. But we'll talk about that album when we talk about Aladdin Sane, I think. But anyways, so I'm sorry. Got it. Go on. No, that's all right. Uh, as far as when I first started discovering him, uh, the first thing I remember him actually was one of his songs uh, during the Gene Chambers sad divorced years when I watched a lot of MTV the album, whatever, uh, Brick by Brick came out. And that had that song Candy with that uh, singer from the B-52s. Do you guys remember that track? I do not. I'm sure I have. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, uh, but go ahead and hum a few bars, if you will. I'll join in. No. <laughs> I can't even. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, it, it's. I don't know it well enough or I would. But uh, it's actually, it's a, it's a decent song. It's almost a ballad. And that was a, that's how I remember him. That's the first thing I remember him doing. And then I think probably Lust for Life, which is just a, a, a force of nature of a song. And then, yeah, it was just hearing about him popping up here and there. He had a new album out that I might have heard a track or two off of, but I, I never really dived in until uh, probably until The Idiot when we did it for this this podcast. So, yeah, he's always been there, and I've always liked him, but I never, you know, you can't become a super fan of everybody. And uh, in his case, though, based off this record, I'll probably go give some of the other albums the uh, the full the full Monty, if you will, which also had a uh, Begbie in it. Did you guys see the? Uh, That's right. Did you guys see the um, the little clip I texted you of uh, uh, Iggy and Bowie on the Dinah Shore show uh, from the seventies? Uh, just to, yes, I've, I've watched, I've watched a couple of, uh, there's, there's a few clips of them around yeah, they, 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 they were on there. They might've only been on there together that one time, but there's a few clips out there of that. There's a funny moment where like the, cause it's, it's like a daytime talk show <laughs> and dinosaurs is just, just so shocked at these stories of Iggy Pop who cut his skin with broken bottles <laughs> And she's just she's just gasping, and then they go on and play a pretty cool song. But um, uh, yeah, uh, Iggy Pop has a sad sad history. Um, some of it's mythologized, some of it it must be real. Uh, but you know, we won't get to go into that too much. Definitely some mental illness and obviously substance abuse and abuse, just general abuse towards him when he was younger, all play a part in him being kind of a. You know, when he came up, he was he was a force of nature. He was a he was a you know crazy. I'm saying that in quotes. Um, you know, he was wild, and uh, you know he had you know there was shock treatment involved at some point. And um, anyways, uh, 
I think he also. I'd say that if you want to, I'd, I'd say if you, if you're really curious about his life, this is a, the podcast plug hour. There was an episode of the WTF podcast with him on it, and it's a fascinating list. That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely worth digging back. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely worth digging back into uh, into that archives for to see to see you know how this guy turned out the way he was. Right. Um, yeah, I, 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 it, you know, with Eric it is, is right. There was some bad stuff going on, but at the same time, it's not as miserable as you might think. Even if you were raised in a trailer park in Michigan, um, his parents still tried to do what they could. It's yeah. interesting. It's, uh, it's, it's like his parents were caring, but they couldn't do a lot for him. But the fact that they cared probably is what helped propel him to do a lot for himself right. later. And, well, and it was he had a, when he when he came up, he was he had a reputation of being crazy but fun. There's a funny uh, Lou Reed quote where he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, he pops great, but he's a complete idiot. He's a complete dumbass. Like like he was he was thought of as being kind of stupid too, even by his contemporaries. Which is a funny when you think about the album title, the idiot." Um, it's actually a reference to a Dostoevsky novel about a guy that is, it's like a philosophical, like Dostoevsky was always good about writing about contemporary philosophy, uh, but wrapping it around an interesting, um, uh, interesting bit of fiction. And his story is about a guy that's so nice and pure and just a truly good person. And it's because of that. Nobody trusts him. Nobody believes in him. They think he's fake. They treat him like garbage. And, um, Anyways, that's what the book's about, and that's that's where they got the name for the album, but probably also a little bit about Iggy Pop's reputation too. So, yeah, and one of the one of his biggest early influences actually, and you could see this. This, this is you're like, oh, that makes sense. Was uh, the Doors? He he attended some of the earlier Doors shows, and he was fascinated by the fact that Jim Morrison was able to be kind of a lunatic, but also a rock star at the same time. And he thought to himself, if this guy can do this, there's no reason I can't try to do the, something similar. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say that he kind of took the baton of some of uh, Morrison's antics and ran with it. Right. Certainly so, the love for leather pants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, so uh, Iggy himself described this album as a cross between James Brown and Kraftwerk. And I can totally see that, especially on the first track. Should we dive into this, guys? Yes, I think it's time. Sister Midnight, the first track off The Idiot, and 
over the last few weeks, I have just been saying, uh, what was it, paging Sister Midnight? Calling yeah, Sister they didn't Midnight? didn't have pagers back then, but yeah, calling. Yes, <laughs> I've just been saying, calling Sister Midnight, like randomly at work, at home, to my wife, to my son. I That, that refrain has been uh, bouncing around my life for the last few weeks. I think it's a... It's a great opener, and I think it lets you know exactly what you're kind of getting into here. Yeah, it starts, it's, it's repetitive. It's got a funky bass, and um, a layer of synths, and it's just like, like totally funky guitar over it. But um, the drums are, apparently I was reading about like some of the tech stuff on this, I'm not gonna bore the listeners with all of it, but one thing that sets it apart and makes it really feel like the first Electronica album is the drums are for the most part live, not all completely, but for the most part live, but they're all, all the mics are put through um, an effects box. So, and, and it's not just an effects box, but it's like an auto-tune effects box. So the drums are constantly matching the, the uh, key of the song while the drummer's playing. Dennis Davies, right, is playing. And, uh, and so yeah. it starts super funky, but as it builds, uh, you just hear the guitar and synth uh, loops in the background just kind of build and build as the song goes. So it's not just a funk kind of fun track. Um, Iggy himself is singing. It's it's probably his most subdued on the record. He doesn't try a lot with his voice in this one, um, but it works. And um, to the, I can kind of see the James Brown cons- comparison too. Sometimes there would be entire funk songs that James Brown would do, and he'd just kind of shout the title of the song in between breakdowns. And there's a little bit of that going on, although there is verses and choruses in this as well. Uh, no. There aren't, there are not verses and choruses on every song on, right. on this album. Uh, they all have a, like a, lot, a few of them have a very like basic structure, but there's a lot going on in the song. Um, yeah, this one, I, 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 like I said, I think it's, it's a great opener. Uh, Carlos Alomar actually helped co-write it. The rest of the album is just written by Iggy and, and David Bowie. And I can kind of hear that, like the the way it opens up, it, it opens up with the like the twang guitar that, that that goes into like a drum roll, and that actually, even though they haven't recorded low yet, that's one of the parts of this album, like the very opening of the song, the intro, uh, you can hear where they're going with the the low the, the Berlin trilogy, yeah, um, yeah, and it kind of has that like do 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 it has a just a slow methodical walk to it that does have that craft work the kind of feel going on and did you guys did you catch that there's one part in this song where out of nowhere there's just like a it sounds like like a a a, a tape recorder like bleeps it goes boop. it happens just once i might have missed that song. one but there's a lot of stuff all over this album in the background it's like, oh, that's kind of fun. Let's just throw that there and forget about it. Yeah, yeah, it happens just... Yeah, I don't know if it was an accident or if it was on purpose, but in the midst of this song that's kind of like a nighttime song that's plodding along, it, it just... It, it, it's you, you, you miss it and it's gone. And I think it was a great little effect. Uh, I think it's a, a great track. I think it's a it's groovy, but at the same time dark and shambling. And uh, I think it's a great... Yeah. Mark, what did you think? Mark... What do you think of Sister Midnight? I, I agree with both of you. Um, it's a it's a sleazy track. Um, I mean, and I mean that as a compliment. 
it's uh it's kind of got like an electro sleaze feel to it where it you definitely could see the imagery of someone just shambling on down a dark uh dark street looking for something right whether it's good or bad um i i do like what's going on in this it seems messy but also in the right place um it's a very engaging track i enjoy the vocal performance as it does kind of go along with that sleaze funk that that's going on here um that's a good good work yeah and uh carlos alomar's playing you could really really see um this song as it's reflected into how bowie was going to attack and approach low um though i mean even uh just kind of the arrangement and how like it's it sounds like a robot putting itself together um mm-hmm. uh, i definitely felt that there's a good parallel between this song and what's bowie's gonna unleash on low um it's good song are kind of interesting um all the sister midnight stuff calling sister midnight um kind of being afraid of his dreams um you know i don't want to have this dream uh there's a lot of it about trying to escape prophecies or escape dreams what he thinks his future is going to be that's that's all the sister midnight stuff is what he's singing there um and then there's uh this block in the middle where he basically tells the story of oedipus rex like I was sleeping with mom and then dad came in with a six shooter and shot at me. I don't want that to be my future. That's, that's kind of going on in the middle of the song. Um, anyways, just kind of some bonker stuff, but uh, ultimately the song's about escaping what you think your future is going to be. Um, and uh, yeah, it's funky and it's fun and it definitely grabs your attention. And to Mark's point, it is noisy and has a lot of a, like, there's a lot of parts of this album that are noisy and, squelches and things you gotta you know messy by design that the bass line really holds it in place on this track a few tracks in this album the bass line there's some bass lines that for the majority of the tracks aren't doing anything that's going to blow your hair back but then there's going to be just a little section where they uh they take it for a quick walk and bring it back and uh sister midnight definitely falls into that category good shit all right so yeah, Sister Midnight takes takes you out at night, and you're walking around at midnight. And of course, what are you doing out at that hour? Well, you're going night clubbing. So that was a little bit of night clubbing. Eric, what do you do when you go night clubbing?
haven't been for a long time. But it's not about me. The song was apparently written, uh, like, Iggy Pop just kind of wanted to express the feeling of going out with a megastar like David Bowie, what that, that, feel, that feel is like. The lyrics are pretty clear about it. You know, we're walking around like human ice machines. Um, I mean, there's some, I mean, bright white clubbing. You can imagine maybe what that's about. We're walking around like ghosts. I like that idea. Like we're popping into this place and then disappearing before anybody knows we're gone. Um, my personal favorite line is we learn brand new dance moves like the nuclear bombs. I, 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 oh, I wrote that one <laughs> yeah. down. It's yeah. good. Um, the music in this is pretty cool, and I guess this was the last song they recorded for this album. They were like packing up the studio, or I mean, not not literally, but they were getting ready to leave. And um, uh, Bowie just quickly just whipped up a drum beat on his little uh, drum machine, uh, which you know rarely, except with the exception of maybe Earthlings, Bowie would much prefer an affected out drum set and a live drummer than a drum machine, but they used one on here, but we wanted to re-record it with real drums, and uh, Iggy Pop said, no, it's good, it fits, it fits, and then um, there's apparently some funny story where Iggy was writing the lyrics as Bowie was playing the song on the piano, and he and Coco Schwab both had masks on their faces, and they were dancing around as they whipped the song up in like an hour. Um, it's a very simple song. The... Uh, drum machine gives you a boom, bah, boom, bah, and you got a little ragtime piano, and uh, buzzing synths just give you a little sense of foreboding to the song, and then between verses you get some really cool guitar flourishes. Uh, but super simple song, but it's fun and catchy as hell. It's been stuck in my head since I started this album. Um, what do you guys I think that this might be my favorite song off the record. Um, in, its sim- ah. in its simplicity, um, I find that it is undeniably catchy. And um, I, even though it seems like a, a toss-off song, um, I just really like the swagger um, in uh, Iggy Pop's vocals. Not so much like where he's laying it on thick, where we're what's happening. Um, I just, that, uh, that piano and of course, um, that drum loop is what was sampled on Closer by Nine Inch Nails. And I, uh, I also enjoy Trent Reznor and Peter Murphy's version of this that you can find on some radio session. Oh, it's so, so good. Touring with With Teeth. We can't forget that. That, that, that's right. Club. 
but yeah, no, this this track, man, um, it is just it's catchy. Uh, I love it. I love this song. It's great. It, it was also featured in the Train Spotting soundtrack. I, I, I thought no. for sure the song was in that movie. Yeah, it's great. It was. Yeah, the, uh, the the barroom piano, I'm always a fan of that. And so is David Bowie, as he's done it on quite a few songs we've discussed. And Eric, you already brought up that We Learn Dances, brand new dances like the nuclear bomb. That delivery of, like the nuclear bomb, it's, that's great. And there's a there's a section where there's a multi-track of a of various Iggy Pops where two were kind of in the foreground talking and there's one in the background uh, singing a bit higher that really just, it's a nice little touch. It only happens for maybe a part of the second verse. It's a, it's a great song. Not too, nothing too flashy, just doing enough to be interesting. I mean, before we move on, I want to also name check whatever, whoever's playing that guitar on this track. It could be Carlos Alomar. I don't know, but it sounds like they're fighting it. You know, like it's, uh, it's like, the, it's yes. like a, it's like they're wrestling a, a wild cat. This, it sounds great. This, this, yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Like it really, like they're just, bah, nah, 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 they're just trying so, to put uh, it down. Yeah. This was actually uh, uh, Phil Palmer. Phil Palmer. That's, that's actually on this one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, Phil Palmer is on this one. He, he definitely was fighting that yeah. guitar. Uh, there, there's some noisy guitar work in this album that's just fantastic. Yeah. I think noisy is the best word to describe this record. But not in a dissonant way, though. No, not, no, not, you know, it's not, it's, it's metal not like machine a, music. It's not like you're listening. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, Mersbow, either way. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. I, there, I actually found two, I found two little, uh, uh, different, uh, his credit, the bass is credited to George Murray, but in, in this deep dive, it looks like it was actually the guy from Magma that did the bass of the song, Laurent the Balt. So anyways, there you go. Night clubbing. That's night fantastic. Clubbing. You guys got all your you got all you, you got all oh, your yeah. thoughts out about night clubbing. Oh yeah. All right, that's good to know because when you're out night clubbing, you're typically looking for a fun time. Iggy Pop having a fun time, and so did we. Eric, tell us all about uh, your fun times. Uh, yeah, this song is Iggy and Bowie, and then uh, Phil Palmer again, George Murray on bass, Dennis Davies on drums. Um, apparently, Iggy got this idea because he heard the Sex Pistols cover uh, the Stooges song, No Fun, and, um, and he thought he'd you uh, know, just wanted to make another song about fun. Apparently, um, the lyrics of the song are like borderline. No, they're creepy. Like 
Fun, hey baby, we like your lips. Fun, we like your pants. All aboard for fun time. Uh, there's a very much like a throwback to like your Clockwork Orange, your like gang kind of uh, approach to hitting on ladies, which is kind of terrifying in this particular song. Um, so it it sounds like it's fun, but it's uh, there's some there's some like uh, there's a darkness to the song. There's a uh, menace to this song, shall we say? Mark, you'll love this. Uh, there is a straight up reference to Monster Mash in this song. There is a there is a line of dialogue. Is there yeah, really? There's a line of dialogue where he says, "Last night I was down in the lab, fun talking to Dracula and his crew." <laughs> 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 oh that's right it they were sucking and fucking no. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. The <laughs> oh, oh yeah for those that don't understand that reference on uh, comedy bang bang they do this thing called monster fuck every halloween show <laughs> and it's uh oh man <laughs> oh. oh god all right, uh, the, this is the heaviest the music gets. All in one, that's not true. It's pretty close, though. It's got uh, big, the, the drums are plugged into the synthesizers big time on this one. The guitar is super chunky. Um, there is a punk strum to the guitar, uh, but it's definitely like where punk meets electronica as far as the music sounds. I would say his vocals are about as lazy as they get on this album, on this particular track. Um, but it's... It's still a it's still a breeze to get through, and um, you know, it's fun but kind of scary fun. So that's that's my two that's my take. I uh, definitely was uh, appealed to the musical uh, arrangement. I do like kind of that ominous sound, and you know, maybe I think my overarching issue with this album is that musically there's a lot going on and I, I get really engaged with what is what paintbrush that Bowie and uh, Iggy were painting with, I guess. But uh, maybe it's the vocal performance where it just seems, I mean, I, I absolutely am not going down the transformer route uh, for those that listen to our transformer B side. It wasn't so wild about how Lou Reed kind of approached the project. Um I would actually put this higher in uh, in that, but this is a good song. I mean, it's not bad. It's just one that it's not very memorable. Um, it's that's my kind of my main issue with the rest of the record is that when I listen to them again, I'm like, yeah, that's a good song, but I just have no memory of them after it's like literally a mind wipe. Um, but musically, when I did a uh, just a quick listen back uh it really like the music that's happening here and then just iggy pop's vocals are just kind of a non-factor for me but yeah that's all i got on this one i would say when you can tell when he's trying and i think those those really stick um this isn't one of those songs in my opinion so yeah yeah so you guys are both both not fans of uh, uh musically time. I am yeah uh, yeah I like it I mean I would put it lower on on this album as far as my faves go but it's not a bad song at all I like it quite a bit I think uh, I, I I 
it has kind of a um, Velvet Underground by way of the Hell's Angels vibe to it. Uh, if that makes any sense, just it's it has like a lot of forward momentum. Yeah, and I I'm a pretty big fan of uh, David Bowie's uh, background vocals oh, on this one. All aboard! Uh, he doesn't do background <laughs> vocals all over this record. All aboard for fun time. Yeah, it, it definitely this. You know what this song reminds me of is it could be off uh, a version of this song could be on Lodger, I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe a more fleshed out version. But Isn't Sister Midnight? Um, that got reworked on Lodger yeah. um, as something red, else called, red, I think, Red, red Money. Money. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. I was not aware. I, I've i heard the song, but I was not aware of that, but that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, this, this song's all right. I, uh, I, it's not my favorite song on the album, but I, I, I like it. I like the placement of it. They're, they're, for the next few songs, there's this, like, we actually, maybe the rest of the album, fast song, slow song, fast song, slow song. And I, I kind of like that rhythm it kind of gets into. Um, yeah, and when you're out having a fun time, sometimes you have too much of a fun time, and you turn into a baby. wailings of a baby mark how does baby make you feel similar to the last track uh, musically i do like what's going on here um i think that uh what i'm seeing a uh kind of a pattern emerging that these simple sort of structured songs with not much uh not much retooling it's just like we're just gonna I think it's that German simplicity, essentially, and that's where that uh, craft work comes in, um, where you can, you don't need to just pile on all the instruments. We're not making, you know, uh, Born to Run here. It's just one of those things that you got a melody that's carrying across, and then, you know, Iggy Pop is wailing around, and uh, it's, it's a fine song. It's it's not nothing that I'm writing home about, but it's it's such a... So far in this for this record, like I'm not offended by anything that's going on. It's just more sketches of ideas that essentially will um, Bowie will pick up and really flesh out uh, throughout the Berlin trilogy. And even if you look at Iggy Pop's rest of his work, I mean, Lust for Life has drums up the wazoo for crying out loud. Um, and I really do feel like it gets more back into his, I guess powerful stuff that he did with the Stooges in a more kind of polished way. And yeah, this is fine. It's a fine middle part of the song. And I could see what you were saying with the, the pattern of fast song, slow song, fast song, slow song. 
Um, and I think, I don't know if, uh, if memory serves, I don't know if the whole record follows that pattern, but so far, like it's, you know, not offended by anything. I'm like, what's going on. It's just, doesn't quite hook me where I'm like, this is an all timer. If that makes any sense. Yeah, this, yeah, this Eric, is, uh, interestingly enough, uh, I took note of this song because though it's not my favorite song that's played so far, and I think the first two tracks are better. This is the first song he really goes for it on his vocals. Um, you know, he doesn't fall. I've often talked about it on the show that like when a singer just talks through a song, it's not going to, I'm not going to enjoy it. Um, and he doesn't go that far, but sometimes he kind of, you know, it, it definitely sounds like he's like one take and I'm done. I don't care how it sounds kind of thing. Um, and he hasn't really swung for the fences yet vocally. And this one, he starts pushing his range a little bit, not as much as he'll do later on, but this is when you can kind of see that he's feeling a little bit more confident. Um, Bowie would say that this album feels as much of like a Bowie album as a Iggy pop album because, uh, Iggy pop was still trying to find his way to resurface. You know, he was in a place where he didn't know who he was musically professionally anymore. Um, but this song, he feels confident and, uh, there's not much to the music. You're right. It's very simple. There's a really, really, really good bass line on the song and lazy drums and it works. And then some noise and it, and it works. Um, the song uh, is essentially about, um, I mean, there's not much to it. He's, 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 he's Iggy Pop. He's jaded. Um, he finds somebody who is uh, a decent person and he's worried that he's gonna he's gonna corrupt her. He's gonna he's gonna ruin it. And like, baby, there's nothing to see. I've been down the street of chance. Baby, you're so clean. Baby, please stay clean. Like he's he's worried he's gonna corrupt somebody who's pure and good. It's a it's it's interesting song lyrically. Although there's not much to it. It's very simple. Um, I like it because he's starting to breathe with his vocals a little bit, and he's gonna go to some crazy places the next few songs, and this is gonna start taking us up that ladder. Yeah, I agree with you, Eric. The um, the vocals on this track are what really do it for me. I love any kind. Of, I love a good crooner, a great good crooning track. I'll probably bring that up again in a couple of tracks later. Uh, and I do like Iggy Pop's kind of doing on some of these tracks a much dirtier version of what Brian Ferry is kind of doing with his, uh, you know, looking back to the '50s style of a uh, 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 romanticism singing. But but in this case, it's it's much more like a, a drunk guy in an alleyway singing towards the moon. You know, I, uh, I, I'm a pr- pretty big fan of, of this song, but I, I, I have listened. I listened to this album, maybe no exaggeration, maybe 20 times in the last couple of weeks. And that's because, you know, one, I really liked it. And two, it's not that long. And I did get to a point though, where like an old album, you know, when a, a banger is coming up that, uh, the next track, like at the end of Baby, right. I always get excited. Well, that the was the track. end of Side Side and One, and so maybe this you flip the record over. That yeah, you flip it to Side Two, and maybe, maybe, they, they, Eric, if you'd read your chat, you'd let me talk right now. Uh, maybe, maybe your baby has uh, grown up, and for various reasons, she's become a China girl. 
Closer every time. All right. Eric, you can start talking about China Girl. Sure. No shortage of things to say. China so. China Girl. You guys you guys go uh, I was pretty surprised to um, to find this on here. I, I actually did not realize that it wasn't a David Bowie original because I was familiar with the Let's Dance version. And uh, we'll compare the two a little later. The story behind the song is it's rather interesting. This um, the concept of the song, yeah. That's, that's hold on, hold hold on. Oh, <laughs> that'll be the new hold on the button. I find that fascinating. I even though I never really dove into this record, I was always aware that it was an Iggy hmm. Pop song. I don't know how, I just did. Mark, how about you? Were you was that a surprise to you? Uh, no. I I remember seeing that China Girl was originally done somewhere on an Iggy Pop record. I think that was the big thing about it was that David Bowie took that song back. Um, so I was aware that it was going to be found somewhere on Iggy Pop's records, and I just didn't realize it was on his first solo one. So yeah, I don't think I was ever familiar with it. No, me neither. No, not at all. That was the Bowie version only for me until, you know, I think I, I don't think I ever actually uh, went and looked for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyhow, so, but the concept of this was all Iggy Pop. He, he had this idea and he was so excited to, to share it with David Bowie. There's a, there's like a soundbite of him talking about him coming up with it. Uh, when they were staying at this hotel, he uh, was kind of having this little relationship um, with, uh, it was actually an affair with a um, Vietnamese woman. Her name was Kulan Nguyen. She was a girlfriend of an actual, a French actor who was also staying there. And he wanted to um, write a song initially that was, it was basically like he knew this relationship was doomed and he wanted to write a metaphor for his time in the Stooges, his career in the Stooges. Um, that's where it started. Uh, when you when you look at the song itself, it is um, you know it's all about stereotypes. At some points, uh, he's describing himself as like a GI, like a a Marlon Brando, and he's met this uh, exotic, exotic, uh, and you know the the idea of like an exotic Asian woman is is a stereotype in itself. Um, but I think he's doing that on purpose. He's describing himself as a stereotype and, and, and as a she, and he is positive that his own personality, his kind of controlling, almost semi-fascist personality, is going to uh, end up ruining the relationship like the West, um, you know, uh, essentially corrupted the East um, at various points in history. And that's all in the song. And then he also sprinkles a little bit of, as he's, as he called it, a little taboo over it where, you know, he's specifically also referring to China white as heroin and girl in New York girl is a, is a is slang for cocaine when you're talking to dealers, at least back in the seventies. Um, so all that's in there. And he was so excited that Bowie would like this like pop song that was, uh, was taboo. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, that's that's the back story on the song. Um, uh, you you know definitely there's for sure like I hear her heart beating loud as thunder. Um, 
uh, it's almost like that Edgar Allan Poe poem about the heart beating under the floor. Um, <laughs> that was funny, Mark. <laughs> Gummies are hitting Mark pretty solid tonight. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyways. Um, yeah, and then the music, I mean, you hear Bowie playing the little baby piano in the background. Um, and then it just builds from there. It's a very simple song. The, the melody repeats itself often. Um, and uh, the rest of the band actually really gets to flex their muscles. Bowie does some saxophone. Um, you got uh, Carlos Alomar's rhythm guitar is just adding a layer of fuzz in the background. Uh, George Murray's bass work, it just pops up when you need it to. And then uh, Phil Palmar is doing all the lead guitar shredding. Um, Pretty interesting take on the song. Rocks a lot harder than Bowie's version. Um, and it's got a kind of an interesting story behind it. I think this is a real high, high watermark of the album. What do you think, Steve? Oh, yeah, this is definitely the uh, the 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 high high watermark of the album. I think this is the absolute pinnacle. I was so impressed with this track. Like I said, I've, I heard it once or twice, but I never really thought to dissect it. And listening to this record and focusing on this song, I was just so impressed with it. I, uh, it, it has a lot of rising action, like you wouldn't believe. And it's, it's, it's sneaky rising action. It's, it's not in your face, but it has a, a, a subtle version of layering in it and building that I think is, uh, like, like rivaled by from like maybe closer. Oh, like yeah, it's a, I can see that. Like the like you know the the end of closer where they start layering things on yeah. each other. This is not as in your face about it. This is definitely um, twenty something years before that. But what they're able to pull off with building everything on top of each other, it's it's right up there with the with that work. And. Uh, you know, it just it just comes in strong with the most ridiculous of things. It's that it starts off and uh, it, it, like the first thing I notice is that, that 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 toy piano, and apparently David Bowie went and found a toy piano somewhere, and that's what's on this track. And even though this song comes in like a motherfucker, that toy piano is right there, and it doesn't really go away for too long. But it never makes it childish. It fits so well for this for this song. Um, what was that? Hasn't David Bowie played with kids' instruments on other albums before? Uh, he, well, no, he had a broken uh, little synthesizer um, that he used all the way since like Space Oddity that would keep showing up again over and over again. I don't know if that's what you're talking about. No, it's not exactly the same thing. It's definitely just a kid's, kid's toy piano. And uh, yeah, just as the song moves, it goes through different movements. Like sometimes the guitar is doing like a like a squelch riff kind of da 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 and uh, I remember that part specifically Josh Holmey smiling and playing that part when they played this live on uh, a pretty well produced uh, live album I'm sorry live uh, concert that they recorded uh, a video for from that uh that what was a post bubblegum depression or the hell that album is they really they really do a great version of this track but that leads into like, you know, there's these, there's these like surf guitar rhythm work that, that just pops up for a second before he goes into that Marlon Brando line, 
which then goes back into the the, the, the preceding guitar riff. And there's just so much good guitar work going on here. And I didn't even look it up. Who's doing, is it Carlos Alamore and Bowie? It has to be. It can't just be one guy. No, the guitar. Yeah, no, it's, no, it it's, 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 no, it's, it's Phil Palmar and, and Carlos Alomar. Yeah. Yeah, Phil Palmer, Phil Palmer and Carlos Alomar do a lot of going back and forth. Yeah. And some of it's very rhythmic, but it also has like a dirty sheen to it. And I just, I got... I got a few more things I want to add, but I'll talk forever. So uh, I'm resigned to say the song is a masterpiece. And before I give my other little notes here, I'll ask Mark what he thinks about it. Along with Eric, it absolutely shreds all over Bowie's version. Bowie put that pop sheen right over it and uh, really amplified the um, kind of, uh, I don't know how else to say it, but uh, kind of, Andy, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's, if you kind of get my drift, you know, it's, uh, it's not great with the, he yeah. might as well just put that in his version. <laughs> uh, that was um, a, that, I, I'll give it, I'll give Bowie this much. The, 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 that was Niles, Niles Rogers is the one that came up with the, with the, with that, that, that blasted, uh, the guitar part that he made Steve, I think Steve Ravon play. Oh, yes. let me just, let me just, let me just yeah. touch on that really quick. Um, Bowie has often said, like, in defense of, you know, in that music video, Bowie does China eyes, like, the, the really offensive, like, he pulls his eyelids back in that music video. I don't know if you remember that, but... He, I... Yeah, but he does that, and and uh, the girl does something, too, she makes, like, a pig face, and, and, and it's an Asian woman that's uh, actress, and she does, like, a pig face in that video. She, like, pulls her nose up, and he said, like, Iggy Pop wrote this song about stereotypes, and uh, it just felt right to do that in the video. I mean, that being said, I don't think he would have done that even 10 years later. But um, uh, to the defense of how his song sounds, uh, it was the song isn't like kind of skewing stereotypes in a way. That's how Iggy Pop meant it to be. But anyways, go on. I was going to say that that doesn't, I mean, you can kind of get a little drift of that here, but it, I mean, Bowie just decided to go ahead and do that. But Whatever it is, I, I'm not a big fan of Bowie's version. And when I saw that China Girl was going to be up on the menu on this one, I was like, oh, boy. Um, but my expectations were completely thrown out the window. I mean, um, what I really like about this one, uh, the vocal performance seems to just work a little bit better with Iggy Pop singing it. Um, and how extended uh, some of the musical parts are, uh, where it is like a jam, you know, rather than just this made for radio song. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's um, awesome. So I, I do have to appreciate it. Definitely made me um, appreciate the song uh, in this form. Um, and I would agree with you guys that musically speaking, it seems everything was gelling on this one. And uh, instead of making it very simplified, like the rest of the album so far has been, this one is without any sort of... Uh, uh, second doubts that this is the one that they were really swinging for the fences where everyone was just clicking. Um, the arrangement was perfect and, uh, the instrumentation is perfect. Um, and, uh, Iggy pop doesn't try to do too much with what his vocal range is, but he really no, I, just fits. I, I would say, yeah, his range is super limited. I mean, that's just, that's just the deal with him. He, he, there's not, there's not too much. He's got about one, 
scale of notes uh, to his range. And um, But he goes for it. And I don't know if you noticed this. One thing I love about the lyrics in the song, it actually reminds me of um, the closing track off With Teeth. Um, he His vocals are all covered in distortion for all of this song up until... He uh, he screams uh, the whites of our eyes, and it like shorts, it, like like it just static like happens when he screams that song, and then it gets really clear uh, for the rest of the track. It just it, at one point it just like the distortion seems far away in his singing, and then it just gets really clear until the end of the song. It's kind of cool. of his eyes that's that's right after the swastikas line yeah. isn't it yeah and uh yeah the the, the way the, the registry hits there i love but it just peaks and it works for the song I'll, I'll listen for if it's clearer for the rest of it and from that point on end the song that's when everything starts like building on each other and making room for each other and there's some ice synths that there's there's times where they creep in there's other times where bowie just like leans on one note and holds it for just entire sections of the song while the saxophone comes in and is blaring over it and the guitars are going back and forth. But it never feels too claustrophobic. Everything just is just, it's put together like a perfect sandwich. I, I just so impressed with this track. It's a, uh, it's definitely, uh, if this was the behind the music of the making of this record, that was, that was the day it all just came together, man. Yeah. Like Mark alluded to. I, uh, I just so impressed yeah. with it. And it, ro- it rocks and, hard. Uh, but they're not afraid to throw those like synth layers in. There's plenty of that. There's the sheen that makes this a Berlin era song as well. It's great. All of the synth work and the saxophone and some of the crooning, this definitely, uh, Gary Newman had to have a copy of this album. There's this, there's, there's this, the production and the, uh, some of the images the album conjures reminds me a lot of, late 70s early 80s david bowie with uh or i'm sorry gary newman with you know his two-boy army synths in his fedora and then definitely china girls another song that remind i could i can imagine gary newman oh yeah for sure this version of it yeah yeah uh, five out of five bolts for this track for me i just i I absolutely just fucking love it. it's great it's fantastic all right When you're done, get 
when you're done getting all excited about this China girl, you might be thinking of some of the guys that she left behind and all of those dumb, dumb boys out there. I'm on a podcast with a couple of dumb, dumb boys myself. <laughs> One of them is named Mark, and he's going to tell you all about this song. Oh! Unless he's on mute. I think he muted himself. I am on mute. <laughs> I am on mute. Look at that. Look at you, you dumb, dumb boy. Um, yeah, I know. See? Just started talking. Um, so... I don't have a whole lot of backstory because uh, I didn't do any sort of research like Eric is uh, prone to do. So this track clocks in at uh, roughly well, seven minutes plus, and it uh, kind of gets off to a little bit of a slow start. Iggy Pop sounds like he's recording his vocals in a room uh, uh, that's not even in the same recording studio, but uh, you know, that's to be expected. Um, Musically, it uh, kind of plods along. Um, you know, you've got your your guitar squelching here and there to kind of just carry on the momentum, but it's it, it tends to go on a little too long for me. Um, it, it's uh, not like I get bored or anything like that, but here we are in track six out of an eight-track album, and um, this is kind of where I think after China Girl really hit some high highs, I, I tended to start... Uh, looking at my watch a little bit more, um, but it was fine. I mean, it's it's not anything horribly. Nothing on this record is offensive in the sense of oh my god, this is just a clunker. It's for me, it's just uh, this album was a sketchbook. So, Mark, but Eric, as, yes. as, when we listen to Transformer, there are definitely some times where you said, "Are you guys kidding me? You're not getting that same vibe on this this record." Not at all. Not at all. Like I can see why it is highly sought after. I, I see why it's a it's it's a uh, it's a pillar in his career, and uh, it's a very influential album. But um, I can see the the Bowie elements all over it more so on this record than uh, Transformer. Um, it's just different phases of Bowie. I, I maybe it's more this phase of Bowie was a little bit more appealing. And I, there's something about Lou Reed that I think is a little overrated. Um, whereas I think Iggy Pop is perfectly. Oh, rated, sure. Does. If that makes I, sense. I, that's fair. That's totally Yeah, no, I, I, I like this song a lot. Um, weirdly, the riff, the guitar riff, it, it's like a, it's like a grunge. It's, it, it's like proto-grunge. It's proto... I, 
like I've heard this riff a thousand times in like '90s music, and it and I just I just love it. And the song itself, in the beginning, he's asking like, "Hey, what about Zeke? What about Dave?" He's talking about the Stooges, the Dumb Dumb Boys with the Stooges. Um, and yeah, he basically recaps where everybody is. Zeke, he's died of a, of a heroin overdose. Dave also died. He um, he uh, got too drunk. His his uh, his uh, kidney exploded. And uh, wait, hold on a second. Oh, that's somebody else. Wait, no. Wait, wait, for, wait for it. Shit. Yeah, one of their guys though. Uh, I think that was Dave. Yeah, he got too drunk, and they couldn't play one of their festivals, so he got kicked out of the band. Um, you got Scott, who uh, apparently um, lives with his mom, and then you got James, who apparently went straight, as he says in the opening track. Um, but yeah, Dave. Dave is the Dave Alexander died in 1970. Okay, there you so. go. Oh yeah, yeah. And so he did die. He did they, die of the they, liver I mean, rupture. That got infected and turned into a pneumonia. Yeah, there, there was enough. There was enough of them together, alive to get. To, they were they reunited in the aughts. Right. You know, yeah, no, it's good. So he just wanted to kind of. It's, it's like a nostalgia song. He's thinking about his time with the band. Uh, he, he would talk about how uh, nobody speaks my language. Like these people, they spoke my language. I wanted to make noise. Um, uh, he talks about. Uh, Basically, like uh, that, I met him at the drugstore. They used to hang out at the drugstore. Everybody thought they were bad, but I thought they were cool. Um, people said we were negative, um, that that we would take and never give. The hippie movement thought that they were they were bad. They like did not mesh with what was going on in that movement. Um, I like towards the end where he's talking about, "Hey, where are you now? That I need your noise. I'm looking for the dum dum boys. The walls close in. I need some noise. Even with the music he's making now with Bowie." It's noisy, but not in that way. Not in the way that he wants. He wants to, you know, or at least in this song, or what he's nostalgic for. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just him reminiscing on his time in a band. Uh, it does go on very long, but uh, I get stuck in the groove. I'm okay with the song, um, and a lot of it is due to that badass guitar riff. So, uh, fun fact: um, Mother Love Bone was originally going to be called the Dum Dum Boys. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> Mother Love Bone, who they many uh, Seattle alumni. That's correct? right. I feel like they were so they us, were so it gave yeah us they, Pearl they, Jam. They, yeah they they elicited Pearl Jam yeah yeah I like the song it does it is a long song and it kind of plods along it kind of a uh, reminds me of maybe like a. I don't know. I, I, I might kind of like a dirty station to station, and I don't know. It's there's something about this track I like that it just kind of tries to go somewhere, and it takes a long time to get there, but it, it gets there eventually. Uh, the high, the highlight of the track for me is this one does have some David Bowie backup vocals on it, and there's that uh, the dum dum day, and uh, Bowie definitely is singing backup right there. I think it's pretty funny. So it's probably on the lower half of a quality scale for me in this record, but I like the entire record. So it's not, not yeah. a bad track. Yeah. I don't know what about this, that song. It just sucks me in. I, I I'm fine. I, I enjoy it all the way through. All right. 
What's next? Well, when you're done, when you're out there with those, uh, the dumb, dumb boys on the arm of every dumb, dumb boy, unfortunately for them is usually a couple of tiny girls. She makes a face You just have to laugh And you feel like Such a know-it-all When you only want Just a tiny girl And you hope she'll sing Ah, yes. That was a clip from the track Tiny Girls that Martin Gore did a great cover of. I'm a pretty big fan of this song. It, uh, I think on my first couple of listens through, the quality of this track is what made me, besides China Girl, make me just think like, whoa, this is, this is a kind of a special record. And there's something about the, the pacing and the delivery. It's kind of a doo-wop track, and I'm a fan of anything that kind of, you know, I said earlier, I like crooning. I like anything that's kind of a, if you get an artist that's not of that era doing an attempt at a doo-wop song, I'm usually a pretty big fan of that. And uh, yeah, just the the pace and delivery kind of, you know, remind me of the, the end of a Sunday or the end of a day, the sun going down, and it's very romantic feeling. And I didn't pay enough attention to the lyrics. I think the lyrics are kind of not anti-love, but they're not romantic. Eric will probably tell me if they are or not. Uh, but it just, ah, the feeling this song gives me, I, I really like it. And the button on top of this track is the saxophone. Ooh, yeah. There's a couple of saxophone fills that, that I just, there, you know, these are the saxophone fills that, uh, you know, they, they, they make you stare up to the, the sky and hope you see, uh, uh that, that, that God awful crescent moon from those mid eighties McDonald's ads in the sky. <laughs> Was, uh, yeah, which might have been the inspiration for the serious <laughs> Moonlight tour. Who knows? But um, yeah, uh, you're right. But, uh, Eric, Eric, what do you what do you think about Tiny uh, Girls? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is special. This is probably one of Bowie's. This has to be one of his longest sax solos. And usually, you know, he he never had a lot of confidence as a studio mu- musician. So often, he would hire people to just redo what he kind of scratches in the studio. But yeah, this is all him. He's honking on his saxophone, and it's beautiful. He does a great job. It's really, really good. Um, and uh, I, I and and uh, you know the rest of the music is um, it's some synth fuzzy stuff. Uh, there's not a lot. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's the the music's very simple. There's a really cool like I don't know if you heard it. I didn't hear it until I put headphones on, but there's this like puffing sound that goes from ear to ear as the song goes on. That's kind of interesting. It's just one little, little catch that I noticed. Um, the song itself is, you know, apparently Iggy Pop at some point was an adult with a 14 year old girlfriend. You know, I don't know what we're going to, it was a different time. I don't know. 
Um, he might have been like 18, 19 years old at the time. But anyways, so Tiny Girls is about being the older person in a relationship. You feel like such a know-it-all. Um, but uh, it's hard to be in love with somebody who has no past. That's how he feels about the young girls. They have no past. You want the next young thing. But then when you're with them, other than just looks, they don't have a lot of experience. They don't have a lot of life behind them. And that's what the song's about. So uh, there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, but anyways, that, that's that's what it's about. So kind of a, it's not a romantic song. Not really. I mean, it's about love, but not. <laughs> Sorry to burst, uh, burst your Valentine's but, bubble on that one. No, no, no. No bubble burst. Did I already assume right. as much? <laughs> but it's but it's very it's a pretty song. It's 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 fun. I'm just happy that Steve brought up Mac tonight, <laughs> one of the best McDonald Lands characters in McDonald Land universe, who was portrayed by Doug Jones, <laughs> who went on to do such things as be the fish guy. <laughs> yes. I think he did the eye thing in yep. Pan's Labyrinth, but I mean his most memorable character will be Mac tonight. Um What's next, Steven? What's next? No, I'm kidding. Tiny Girls, not a bad song. Um it's uh it, I do also enjoy when artists and throw a little homage towards, you know, the old doo-wop soul stuff. Um, singing uh, is obviously, you know, it's not lack of effort. It's it's certainly not in the sense of irony of like Sid Vicious doing a version of My Way. But uh, uh, I appreciate what's, what's all being put together here. Um, so I'm not going to look down on it. But um, will I go back to this track if I'm not listening to the whole album uh, by preparing <laughs> for a podcast. Probably not, but you know, it's uh, it's not bad. Like I said, inoffensive moving on. Yes. And when we're moving on from the tiny girls, you start to wonder, am I going to run out of tiny girls? You can only have so many. What are we going to do to keep up with this? And that's when your boss says, keep the conveyor belts, Moving. If anything has to happen, we need to keep the tiny girls in mass production.
mass production. But in that clip, I don't think you were able to understand what you can find in this song. Which is if I, I don't know, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my notes, even with my shitty handwriting, I think this song might have given birth to, I don't know, four different genres of music, at least two. What do you think, Eric? So the song starts with what sounds like um, a loop of just like digital, digitally manipulated factory sounds. Um, it actually kind of reminds me how Reptile starts by Nine Inch Nails. Um, where it kind of, uh, you get that kind of thing until the, the beat kind of, the music and the melody forms around it. Um, and I think you would be right. Uh, it sounded like this song may, may have invented industrial music. The funny thing it was, the actual inventors of industrial music would be Throbbing Gristle, and they put out their first album one year before this came out. Um, so it's pretty close, too close to call. However, the first wave of industrial music was all noise. It was all people with a chainsaw to a vacuum cleaner on a stage. That was the, that was throbbing grist. That was the first wave of industrial. This almost, they almost invented the second wave of industrial, like the eighties, nineties stuff. At the year after it would, the whole genre itself was established. It's crazy with this song. Um, because yeah, you got this like you have this uh, rhythmic factory sound, and then this synth synthed out, slow drudging, but but loud noisy song kind of builds around it, and the lyrics itself thematically fit a lot of typical industrial lyrics. It's somebody stuck in a system, you know, they need a new girlfriend, so they they want to give me one like you, but a better model, like that's part of it. Um, uh, and then describing like the factory, the factory towers that are just pluming smoke in, in the air and stuff like that. Um, pretty good. Uh, I read a pretty good review of it on uh, Pushing Head the Name where they said it's basically like if there was a movie that could be, be described by the sound of the song, it would be Eraserhead. Um, uh, it's got a great sound to it. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's about somebody just kind of stuck in it. There's a couple lines that make you just feel like you're at work. Uh, <clears throat> Though I try to die, you put me back on the line. Oh, damn it to hell, back on the line. Hell, back on the line. Again and again, I'm back on the line. Um, just stuck in the factory. Uh, anyways, it's, and then there's like, won't you get me that girl? Yeah, she's like you. She's almost like you. And I'm almost like him. Uh, some people are looking for substitute people in their life. And that's why they're maybe so susceptible to the machine. Is they're they're looking for something that's not that's not actual actually there. It's more built built around memory and, and trauma and, and anyway stuff like that. It's it's a crazy good song. The song is a hell of a closer. Sorry, I've been on a little bit of a rant about it. Go on.
Well, I was gonna say that uh, this song sounds like a factory worker on Quaaludes or a whole bunch of cough syrup putting together carnival uh, carnival rides. Um, this is the sound that he hears with the uh, little calliope, like creepy clown music <laughs> as it's running off the assembly line and he's had a little too much and oh. everything is going slow. I have a note here. I have a note but here. But also... I know I brought up Station to Station earlier, but it fits more in this track. I have a note that says, this song is a drugged out Station to Station. I did not get the circus theme at all, but, you know, different strokes. No. You didn't. That's all right. I mean, uh, it's not that... It's, it just sounds like a slowed down... Okay. Well, uh, Mary I, de- I definitely got the uh, that's what it sounds like part of it. Yeah, for sure yeah. yeah I think it was like during some of the synths like going the synths go eight shit that's what I remember at hearing. three minutes and 30 seconds and they take us home like yeah they're, it, it, it sounds like like if that, this was ever played live I don't know if it ever was there, you could, I could see like, like a Donald Duck, Daffy Duck, Roger Rabbit synth synth battle at the end of the song. Yeah, it's it's something. Well, yeah, no, that's that's one of the things I like. But I mean, this song, I'm a big fan of it, and uh, yeah, toward towards the end of it, there's definitely this section where, to me, I got a visual of a uh, just like robots tripping over them. Actually, this might be because I've been watching the uh, Star Wars prequels lately, <laughs> and. Those dumbass Roger Roger robots, Roger, Roger. you know, who always get their heads chopped off. Yeah. Like, I imagine those robots, like, falling over and shooting each other by accident on a lot of these parts. Uh, that's that's the vibe I'm getting. And, uh, yeah, like, I think, like, I I, I think it, this song has a lot of movements. It might be very slow movements, but they're there. And it gets from one place to the next. Uh, despite the sluggish pacing of it. I think the drums are very pronounced in this song. I think the production on the drums is great. And there's a there there's a there there's there's some double kick fills that you just don't expect that come and they they're gone. And then it gets back to that weird slow pacing. And I, don't know, I think the drums are a highlight. If you listen to this track again, laser in on those drums. Um yeah, but it sounds like a factory falling apart. It sounds like robots shooting each other. It sounds like maybe early in the racer head. I get a, I think, I think that a LP. And it might be my last chance with you. So I might as well get it over. The, the sound of those synths in general sound very Blade Runner-esque. And I think that there is a bit of Blade Runner going on in this song. And LP is a very big, uh, well, shit, he made a, a version of the Blade Runner 2049 soundtrack they didn't even use. But all that, it's a soup. It all goes into a soup for a track I like. Uh, it sounds like an early industrial song. It reminds me of LP. It reminds me of Blade Runner. It reminds me of robots shooting each other. Uh, it goes on a little bit too long, but I don't mind it in this case. It's and, a closing, um, it's a closing yeah, like song. Said, it's supposed Quaalude, to go on too long. It's great. Yeah. And like Mark said, if you're on Quaaludes, you can dance to it. So, <laughs> I, I, 
I love. I mean, this maybe song. you know what? So, someone, someone should take this song and put it over that that uh, scene in the uh, the Wolf of Wall Street where Leo's on Quaaludes <laughs> and see how that works out. Uh, I, I I I'm crazy about the song. I I mean, I have stubbornly sat down in the puddle of industrial and decided I'm not moving. And uh, this hearing this is just. Just, just it, it essentially created a, a, a genre, and it's 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 fantastic. This whole album, this whole album has created right. an electronica. The, the end of this, it's it's this this album has been has been pretty important as far as as far as what came after, what 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 where you can follow the roots to. It's it's pretty crazy. I definitely think yeah, you could look at this record and. There's a couple of different tracks where somebody probably got some pretty good ideas that they fleshed out more. Uh, maybe every track. And that's awesome. I, th- that's why, I'd, yeah, I, I, I feel that uh, Eric, I'm going to crib him. He made this remark to me. But if I if I actually listened to this back in the record store days when I worked in a record store, I wouldn't have shut yeah. up about this record. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a Rosetta Stone for a lot of other good stuff, I think, that came later. I mean, shit, Trent Reznor sampled it for Closer. That tells us a lot right there, you know? Uh, David Bowie covered a song off this album for himself. Uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff in this record, and I think this last track actually is another shining example of it. I, I do like this track a lot. It's not, it's not radio friendly, but I, I think it's a fun, fun, messy robot dying factory of right. a song. All right, what would you, what would so, you uh, bolt um, this? And actually, yeah, to that, to that, no, to the, to that point, to that point. Um, and Eric, have fun producing this one. You're going to be dropping a lot of us out from each other Fine. if we talk over each other. But um, to that point of things that came next, uh, Ian Curtis was a huge fan of this this record, and I definitely could see how the iciness of this album really informed uh, Joy Division. So there's a right. coldness to it. Well, uh, what do you guys? Uh, uh... If we're gonna rate this one, um, I give it four four out of five. I uh, think there's just a couple times where it sounds like they just took Iggy's first take on vocals, and that's kind of his style. There, he maybe could have. There's some songs you can tell he's giving it his all, and there's some that doesn't seem like it. And I wonder what it would sound like if he gave it his all for all of them. If that makes sense, but still. Hugely influential and such a blind spot for me that I'm so happy I discovered this will make its way into my permanent playlist. So four out of five. Fantastic. I will also give it a four out of five. Tempted to give it a 4.5, but uh, there, there are some times there where maybe they could have used a second draft. But at the same time, I feel like this the fact that this album is so rough as part of its uh, why it turned out to be as good as it is. Uh, yeah, but like Eric said, it was a blind spot for me. And that's really exciting. And this can happen over and over again. This is the beauty of music is that when you are old as dirt like we are and you learn you you get introduced to something that's existed longer than you have and you end up adoring it, that's a fun feeling. So four out of five. It's good. It's a good one. Um, 
I mean, five out of five. I mean, uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, three out of five out of this old boy. Um, like I said, it's, uh, it deserves all of the accolades that is thrown at it. Um, for whatever reason, uh, there's something in my immune system that just didn't give me that permanent, um, you know, instant classic all-timer. There's a lot on here that I do like, but nothing that necessarily just stuck to the ribs. It's just one of those albums that uh, I tip my hat to, but it's not one that I'm probably going to go back to very often. But anytime that I do happen to trip over it, I'll probably be like, oh, yeah, you. And uh, very much how, uh, you know, me and Steve <laughs> even became friends in the first place. So <laughs> very fitting on an episode where we talk about train spotting. <laughs> Exactly. No. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I definitely, uh, I'm not going to hate on this record. I think it was, you know, um, it's an interesting one from start to finish. Um, it's never boring. It's never, um, eye rollingly bad. I always think that I really like the direction of, uh, what Bowie was going to be doing. Um, the Berlin stuff that Bowie really dives into is fascinating. It is very good stuff. And, um, it is nice that we are kind of kicking off the talk about low, um, going into something like this where you can certainly see the through line. Um, so for that three out of five and maybe if with more time, maybe it'll settle in, but for right now it's right in the middle for me. And I look forward to, I didn't before because I didn't, you know, I didn't mind it, but now I look forward to it. It'll be fun to go over uh, lust for life. Absolutely. We get yeah. To I'm, I'm excited. Produce that too. Yeah. But in the meantime, yes, we get to listen to Low, which uh, I did listen to. Uh, I've listened to it a few times these last couple of weeks. I've probably listened to it 50 times in my lifetime. And I can't wait to talk about that record next week. So until then, we're all going to be a couple of idiots and sign off. Good night. Oh, wait, no. We're all going to be a couple of idiots. And Mark, what are we going to try to get closer to? We always try to bring you closer to pop. Hey, listeners. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this B-side. We love your movies. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Talk to us on our social medias and let us know what you think of The Idiot. Um, and just a little reminder about our Patreon. Uh, we will always do this show for free, all the bonuses, everything. Um, however, if you feel like saying thanks and you got a few uh, few dollars to, to send our way, we have patreon.com slash pod like a whole. And um, it's been great. You guys just use it to help us get new microphones. Um, so we appreciate anybody who's put into it. And then anybody else that wants to, um, it gets put to good use. That I promise you. And thank you for listening. And to thank you for listening to this annoying commercial, I thought I would reward you with a little look behind the scenes of Pod Like a Hole. In fact, this is getting picked right up from the cutting room floor. Let me set the stage. Somewhere in the middle of tonight's discussion about China Girl, Mark found a picture just scrolling through his feeds of a Yoda, but with a human flesh color, a white human flesh color. And um, somebody uh, on Twitter, I believe it was uh, Beyonce's uncle, claimed uh, uh, that looks like Ed Harris. Well, anyways, Mark found it quite funny. He starts laughing, and then he proceeds to text it to both of us, to which we get into a fit of giggles. Um, so uh, 
this this is a little moment of us getting derailed. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> oh man, the Yoda moment will be edit, will be edited out. Wow. <laughs> oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh, I, I just saw the bats. <laughs> Something showed up on our, uh. our phones.